0: Every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is.
1: (laughs) Getting
2: feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find, for me, that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want.
0: It's like the modern version of the the two people inside of a horse.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Times
1: are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And
2: there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lie on the floor flopping around like a <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes.
1: We work in isolation booths. So if we, <laughs> if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. You never think
3: uh, I hope he asks me to be hope he pitches me to whatever, whatever he's like if you think that way and you're just trying to use people. Blah 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 blah. Oh my god, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot.
0: Yeah. He pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie right. Yeah, you that know. makes sense. Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew in the industry.
3: Stop wiping expectations on any audition.
2: As soon as you start telling stories, and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Now, today, our guest is Maria Pendolino. She is a voice actor, a coach, a strategist. She does all kinds of stuff. And we're talking about transitioning into voiceover full time. And we're going to be talking about some of the considerations, the pitfalls, the strategies to know When to do it and how to do it right and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's a long discussion and for some reason, Maria and I were speaking really, really quickly. So there's a huge amount of information in this one. Um, Now, Maria was a breakout star of our conference, Vocation, which is a business conference in September that we did of last year. And segue of segues, I am joined by my fellow co-chair of Vocation Conference, Karen Guilfrey. Hello.
2: Hello, I'm so happy to be here.
0: (laughs) What, What a great segue
2: this is the best segue jamie this is very excellent well
0: you had to come on this one because uh maria was such a major part of our conference last year Maria was
2: absolutely amazing people could not stop talking about how great her um session on negotiation was she also spoke on a working pros panel which kicked off the conference for us and it was just so much incredible information and uh yeah everybody loved it
0: yeah Yeah. And hopefully we'll be having her again next year. And no, this year. This year. (laughs) It's 2020. Um, Now, I've not had you on just to talk about Maria. We've got some interesting announcement to make. Why don't you tell the listeners what you're here to talk about?
2: Yes, we have our vocation 2020 dates. We are confirmed with Symphony Space. Again, we had a great time at Symphony Space last year and we'll be back there again this year. The conference will be in September, from the 11th through the 13th. Nice. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: I am very excited. When we locked those dates down, I breathed a huge sigh of relief, and a me big too. wave of excitement came over me. I'm, yeah. I can't wait for it. It's going to be. Really and we good. have
2: so many great things planned. I mean, I'm I'm excited. I feel like I want to reveal everything, but I'll leave it for future, for the future.
0: Well, we this was our first event last year, and it went. You know, I don't want to be too arrogant about it, but it went pretty well.
2: Well, I had a good time.
0: Yeah. Um we <laughs> learned a huge amount, I think, right? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. And we we sent out that questionnaire afterwards. So we've we've got some feedback. So we're going to implement a lot of the, the feedback as well. And um, it's going to be a, I think we're going to try and make it a bit of a bigger event, but retain the atmosphere and the vibe of last year's event, because it was just such a lot of fun. Definitely.
2: I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for coming on and announcing that.
2: Yes, and now to Maria. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama.
0: Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today.
3: Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage
0: the droid army with this Lego Star
1: Wars Republic fighter tank.
0: Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Okay, so I am thrilled to be joined by Maria Pendolino today. And we're going to be talking about how to move from voiceover being your side hustle into your full-time gig. And we're also going to throw some negotiation tips in there as well. So Maria, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay, so I invited you on here because I like you for a start. <laughs> <But> secondly, <laughs> I like you too. <laughs> you were a you a breakout star of our conference vocation. Everyone has been talking about your talk on negotiation. And uh, I was just like, I got to get you on the podcast. So uh, well done for that for for a start.
1: Thank you. Yeah, um, I had such a great time at vocation. And I think for me, that was a uh, it was almost kind of like a moment for me where I realized that I am no longer um, someone who is learning how to be a voiceover artist but I'm actually like now someone who has done this for a decade I'm coming up on 10 years in the business and now I actually have insight to share so I think uh, I actually had like a a mindset shift (laughs) in New York City after that when um, people were reacting so well to my presentation which was really lovely and I'm I'm delighted that people got so much out of it because I really do believe that you know, if we all have the knowledge and the power that it will all it will lift all of our businesses together.
0: Yeah, I think maybe you crossed that 10,000 hour milestone or something that yeah, the the
1: Malcolm Gladwell (laughs) expert thing, right? (laughs) That was Yeah, I was like running across the finish line right on the stage of vocation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we begin, why don't we find out a bit more about you how you got into this and what kind of work it is that you do in voiceover?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been acting um, since I was 11 years old. I started doing uh, musical theater and things like that in my community. Um, I grew up uh, just outside of Buffalo, New York, in upstate New York, Western New York. And um, I have always enjoyed um, acting and performing. And I'm a very gregarious Italian <laughs> dog with my hands. Um, I went to college for uh, English and theater at Binghamton University. And that's when I kind of got my first taste of being close enough to New York City. So sometimes I would uh, drive down with people to audition for, you know, summer stock musicals, go to Broadway open calls and things like that.
3: Mm.
1: So I moved to New York in 2004 when I graduated from college uh and i was actually working full time at that time um i i took a full time job in order to get to new york to have enough money to pay you know first month's last month's security deposit and um start paying off my my student loans and i thought to myself you know i'm going to do this for one year get myself settled then i'm going to quit my job figure out how to dance better and then i'm going to be on broadway that was my plan right um that did not exactly happen and i ended up working in banking for almost 10 years and um it was it was just a very totally different path. Um, I was I was good at it. I was a people person, took direction well. I ended up um, doing a project management kind of role, which is um, <clears throat> similar to like a stage manager in theater. You know, they kind of like are running everything and making sure that everyone is doing their individual job. And then it it was the financial crisis, and um, around 2008 to 2010, and I found myself sitting in a cubicle graveyard in Chicago, and I just said, you know what, this isn't. Where I wanted to be, this isn't what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. I want to go back to being an actor. Yeah. During the time I was banking, I was, you know, doing little things on the side here and there, but mm, like cabaret stuff you could do at night, the off, 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 off Broadway <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, So, I I quit my job and I decided to try and be a full-time actor. I went back to New York. I pounded the pavement. Um, That was the time of the renaissance in New York of filming. So, not just law and order filming in New York, but everything kind of coming to film in New York. Um, I got representation. So, I was auditioning for theater, TV, and film roles that were good for me. And I ended up booking a TV role on Lifetime's Army Wives, which shot in Charleston, New York. or Sorry, Charleston, South Carolina. And um, I had a, a recurring character And I had this like month and a half between episodes that I was just like, I can't book anything else. I'm like just waiting to go for my next episode. And somebody clued me into the idea that you could make money doing commercials and as part of commercials voiceover. Hmm. And here I was, you know, lots of years of voice training and technique and singing and all of that. And I was like, I know how to use my voice. How can I get paid for just using my voice? So I took a casting director seminar and, you know, like 15 people in a room, everybody gets to read a piece of copy. You get feedback. Great. And I just loved it. I don't know. I, had, I think I had like a Verizon commercial. And I was yeah. like, this is amazing. How do I do more of this? So I took private classes with that casting director. She started calling me in directly for auditions. Eventually, I got representation and voiceover. And it kind of just took off from there. So I was... I started in in today's world where you can kind of build your business and then work towards, you know, the larger jobs and representation, I started backwards. So I started Mm. auditioning for, you know, SAG-AFTRA national commercial campaigns. That was kind of like my entry point because I had that kind of access living in New York. And then I worked backwards into everything else. So I started getting, you know, excited about doing commercial voiceover. But then I was like, hey, you know, as I'm learning more about recording auditions at home, And all of this, like, I want to be doing more. And then that's that kind of want to be doing more than just auditioning and doing, you know, 30 second commercial campaigns, which don't get me wrong, they're great, because they pay awesome. But, you know, I wasn't booking one of those every day, every week, or even every month. So um, as I was learning more, I wanted to do more. And that's how I found out about this burgeoning world of voiceover that includes your explainer videos, e-learning, corporate narration, all of that other stuff that you know the agents in l a and New York don't really touch because it's not what they do and you know, stuff was growing at that time, new media was exploding, you know, apps and online education, online universities, all of that was growing up at the same time that my voiceover career was growing up, so it was a very nice parallel path and then, in just a couple of years, voiceover actually became my kind of primary acting pursuit, um which was great because my on camera and like theatrical career was suffering because of my psoriatic arthritis. So mm-hmm. I was diagnosed in, when I was 22. It started out as just like knee pain and then it got more and more debilitating. So I was finding it difficult to go to things that included dance auditions or, you know, booking a job and having to be on set and standing for long periods of time. So um, it actually like, It was something that I was starting to enjoy more, doing more voiceover, but it also had, it it came at a really great time because I needed to make a change. Um, So I left New York in 2014. I moved back to my hometown of Buffalo, New York. And um, since 2014, I've just kind of worked on building, I guess, my voiceover empire, which includes almost every genre um, across the board. Uh, I still have representation in New York and Los Angeles, and I've built regional representation as well as international representation for some of those you know, more higher echelon um, campaigns. And then over the last five years, I've just built up a whole treasure chest of wonderful clients around the country, around the world, who use my voice for everything that's not a commercial. And as those genres have continued growing, so has my business. And then that's how you find me today, sitting in a Studio Bricks in Buffalo.
3: Yeah,
0: love it. Um, I want to go back a little bit because I'm interested to hear your take on why you think you were successful when you first started kicking off in this industry. Because there are plenty of people who also go to New York and pound the pavement and take classes with casting directors and things like that. Do you do you have any clue as to why that connected for you fairly quickly? Was it your acting experience maybe that I think it was, played into that?
1: I think it was a combination of two things. So I feel like when I was starting in voiceover, so that would have been like 2010, 2011, mm. we were really seeing you know, the sea change of some of the media moving to new media. We were, you know, just beginning this idea of you could live life without cable because you could get your media consumption elsewhere.
3: Mm. So
1: YouTube is growing, Hulu is growing, all of those kinds of things. And I think as a result um, I think we saw that the conversational real person read was really starting to show up more and more on specs, specifically for commercial voiceover. So this idea of bringing a really, you know, friendly, warm, natural kind of read versus something that was super smooth and polished, like mm. a like a cosmetic or like an alcohol read, um, something that was really announcer-y, Um, you know, women were, women, women were beginning to make strides in some genre there. So I think one of the, one of the things that made me successful was a, I took the time to get training and I didn't just say, oh, because I know how to act and oh, because I've taken voice lessons for 10 years and, oh, I have a good sounding voice. Like I can just go to auditions and I'm going to like, just get it done. I really took the time to train in voiceover and I worked, with um casting directors i worked with coaches i put my money where my mouth was literally yeah and i made sure that i knew how to interpret you know a 15 second piece of toothpaste copy with the same i approached it with the same reverence that i approach you know learning, you know, all of my parts in The Most Happy Fellow, which is a three-act, three-and-a-half-hour musical. You know, so I gave it, I gave it the same reverence and importance when it came to the training. And then I think I also just hit the industry at a time when, you know, people were interested in more natural, real-sounding voices. People were interested in, you know, younger-sounding voices at at certain, you know, for certain brands, the approach to it. And yeah, there was just, I think there were just a lot of things changing when I entered and it, it it was almost like I, you know, drove my, (laughs) drove a motorcycle like through the gap or something, you know.
0: Were you aware of that at the time?
1: No, no. The only thing that I was, the only thing that I was conscious of was that I knew that when it came to bringing, you know, personality to copy and, like, the acting side of things, I knew that I was really good at taking direction. Yeah, And I started to get a sense that perhaps not everyone is great at taking direction when I would get compliments at auditions or sessions that, like, oh, yeah, like, you you nailed it. That's exactly it. Like, great adjustment. So, like, I started to get, you know, feedback on, you know, even my first or second take that, like, oh, you know, they told me, one word, one adjustment, like one emotional keyword to get to where they wanted to hear it. And then they were happy. So I started to get this idea that other people who are doing this, perhaps it takes them more, either more direction or more effort to, f- to get to that end result that the client or the casting director or the agent or whatever is looking for. And that, like, it was just easy with me. I got the yeah. idea that people were like, wow, that was easy. So, you know, for me, it's it's difficult for me to explain it. And whenever whenever people ask me, like, you get that inevitable, like, hey, I hear you do voiceover. Can I pick your brain about that? Yeah, The thing that I find dif- the most difficult to verbalize is the acting piece of it, because yeah. I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started doing theater when I was 11, like, I've consumed so much information about being an actor, being a performer, like, that being my base. So my... My toolbox and my kind of kit of things that I can play with and my technique is so ingrained in me. Like, I don't think about that at all. So I think that's... I think that's what really helped me at the beginning. And then, especially for like commercial and like the auditioning stuff and being able to cut through the noise when you know you're, you know, one, either one audition or one MP3 perhaps of 1,000 submissions. Um, But on the other side of stuff, so the commercial narration, the explainer videos, the e learning, being able to read extremely jargon heavy scripts. And this is where. I remind people that I, I don't regret my 10 years at a bank because I can read an anti-money laundering compliance script better than, you know, 9 out of 10 folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but being able to bring that same kind of friendly, approachable, um, it's almost like the human embodiment of the shrug emoji. Like to be able to bring that same kind of like off <laughs> yeah. the cuff, throw it away to medical scripts financial scripts, healthcare scripts, science, technology, all of that, and still have like a friendly approachability, um, those are the jobs that pay my mortgage today, for sure. 100%.
0: I mean, I think there's so much gold in what you just said there. And one thing that really struck me as you were talking is that this industry tends to be split in, so, into sort of two lanes, generally speaking. There's the sort of actorly kind of lane where people are, they've trained as actors and they want to do you know serious work and then there's the business side where people want to get into this industry to make money and the absolute sweet spot is where you can when you're investing in your your acting abilities but then that meets the business side where you're not snobby about doing a toothpaste commercial like you were saying and if you can if you can nail both of those things into the one person i.e you um you have that ability to be flexible because you have that acting ability to apply that to e-learning, or like you say, any any of these genres that maybe actors would be a bit snobby about?
1: Yeah, you know, I have never thought of myself as an actor, like capital A actor. Um, you know, I, I've always enjoyed doing it, but like, I've never, I've never discounted, like, I've never discounted the project. So, yeah. like, The, when I was, when I was in college and just like belting out show tunes, like with dreams of being on Broadway, did I know that I would be paying my mortgage by reading like the press one, press two scripts for, (laughs) you know, a bank's phone system? No, I did not. But like, as I learned about everything that was out there and realizing that all of these skills that I learned with, you know, the initial dream of being on Broadway or being a series regular on a television show you know, the ability to apply it to a a completely different but related medium being voiceover. um, For me, that has been like, you know, the the aha moment of my life. And um, obviously, like I do this as a career and I want and need to make money to, you know, pay my bills and travel and support my family and everything like that. And um, I've never been um, I've never been precious about it you know it's not like oh my my talent is only worthy of the um, union national commercials therefore I shan't do the explainer video or whatever I just right. I can't I can't imagine that um, that attitude for the way I run my business and also I have I have clients that cross genres too you know mm-hmm. I have one client that I've done uh, a commercial for them. I have done a like very very dry explainer about a boat engine for them. Um, <laughs> I've done a I did I did their offices phone system. Like they they are genre chameleons, and as a you know advertising or digital media agency, they are working with clients of all stripes. Um, so I'm sure they're very happy to have a freelancer like me that is also willing to you know, work on different projects of all stripes. Yeah. The other thing is, is like, for the, I talked a little bit about this, um, I think in the, at the Working Pros Panel at Vocation, but like realizing the ROI, the return on investment of your time, you know, when I, and, like money money is truly not the most important thing to me but like we live in america you need to make money like Mm. (laughs) there's no there's no uh there's no social net to fall on if if things aren't aren't going so well right so
3: um
1: you know when i was on army wives at that time under like an after contract scale for a day player was like it was like 972 dollars or something for essentially three days of your time one day was a travel day one day was your work day. And, you know, I got picked up by hair and makeup in a van at like four o'clock in the morning and I'm on set until seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock. And then the third day was your travel home day. So you get, you know, your travels covered, your um, hotel is covered and you get per diem every day. And obviously there's crafty and food on set and everything like that. But essentially for three days of my time, I made $972. Hmm.
3: Um,
1: you know, I have I have booked a commercial campaign where I'm in my booth for maybe three hours of which one and a half hours is me just waiting on the line because they're reviewing the spots for with the client and yeah. waiting to come back and see if we need to make any changes. And I've made five figures,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, during that three hour session. Um, so recognizing that, um, recognizing that what I do not everyone can do. So there's a value to being a really well-trained voice actor and voiceover artist. There's um value to, you know, being you know easily directable and having that toolkit of actor skills to bring life to all sorts of different genres, all different sorts of scripts. But the idea that I could do that job for that um commercial in 3 hours make a five-figure sum that allows me to you know, pay my bills, put money away for retirement, pay for my health care, take a outstanding honeymoon with my husband. Like, all of those things, um, to be able to know that my acting training since age 11 is what made this possible, to me, that has become just as rewarding and joyful as the idea I had when I was 11 of performing eight shows a week in New York City. Um, so it's, you know, the dream, the dream has changed. The dream has evolved, but, um, I definitely don't get, you know, stuffy about the idea of like, oh, by doing e-learning or medical narration or something, I'm no longer acting. I've become something else. I am still an actor. I am still, um, thinking about the person that I'm talking to and making sure that I'm I'm providing and acting in a way that brings life into this piece. And I'm still, you know, the definition of acting is living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. You know, when I'm reading a healthcare script, I am living truthfully as a doctor reading this script or a nurse or thinking about the patient. I'm still creating those imaginary circumstances for myself and then delivering a script, which I no longer have to memorize, and, right. <laughs> um, you know, providing providing that to my clients. And, um, you know, anyone who discounts the the 90% of our industry that's not, you know, the highest echelon of commercial and animation, because saying that the rest of the stuff is is not acting and is not worthy of the talent and time of the people who are actors, capital A— I think that that is just a very short-sighted idea and they're leaving a lot of money on the table.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. When that red light goes on, it doesn't matter what the project is. (laughs) It should take all of your focus and all of your intent. Okay, so now I want to get to the sort of meat of what we're gonna be talking about today. So all of that was a sort of build-up to the point where you've done all that work, you've you've pounded the pavement, you've built up your career to the point where you can maybe consider making this your full-time gig if it's currently your side hustle. So what are the signs that you can pick up on that determine that, okay, now's the time to make that leap?
1: Yeah, so I had a couple of signs in my life that I knew, okay, this is like this is actually something. so while mm. i was um while I was in New York and pounding the pavement and also beginning to pursue voiceover, I was also working for a nonprofit organization. It was an organization that I had actually volunteered for and i was on their young executive board when i was working in banking Mm. and i just kept up a relationship with them and when i decided to move back to new york to be an actor i said hey you know could i work part-time with you guys you know flexible hours so that i could pop out to go to auditions but like hey i've been a vp at a bank for 10 years and you can't afford that resume but would you like me to work for you for less money yeah um And they were really great about it. They were growing at that time. So it just became like, oh, Maria has all this experience. She can do all of these different things. And then she just might not be here for two hours because she's waiting in line to sing six seconds of music. (laughs) Um, So they were really agreeable about that. So, I continued working with them. And then actually, when I moved back to Buffalo, I um, changed positions with them to do something that I could do remotely. So I was actually working remotely between um, 2014 and through um, 2018, working remotely for this uh, nonprofit that I've had a relationship with. And um, during those years, my voiceover business was growing. So... um, I got to the point where I realized that it was truly no longer sustainable um essentially when I met my husband so I had I had I was a very early adopter of online dating, and um, I went on my very first online date in 2003, and it was a connection that I made on the website hotornot.com, where (laughs) you would post your picture and people could either thumbs up, you're hot, or thumbs down, you're not. Um, And I went out to dinner with a gentleman gentleman who had thumbsed up and said that I was hot. So, great. (laughs) Over that's, the a course, yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, it's a great start. Now, this is all uh, going to be in my eventual comedy cabaret, so no stealing these ideas. <laughs> okay. But But um, over the course of 13 years, I went on 97 first dates. Oh. Of that 97, I would say I probably went on about 10 second dates. And of that, over the course of 13 years, I, like, dated, quote-unquote, dated, like, three people.
3: Yeah.
1: So, when I moved back to Buffalo and left New York, I like, dating or, like, finding someone to, you know, have a partnership with in my life was truly the last thing on my mind. Right. And um, I was essentially working... Two full time jobs at the same time. So I had my desk set up in the room that I had dedicated to my office. I had a PC set up on one side, and then I had a Mac set up on the other side. And then all of that Mac stuff then fed into the closet that I had converted into a booth. Mm. And basically, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., I was sitting at the PC workstation working for this nonprofit. And, you know, I had my Gmail tabs open in my browser and I would have stuff coming in for voiceover. So, you know, if it was stuff from my agents, I was like making a to-do list as the day went on. So I would say like, audition here, audition here, whatever. And then I could reply to people during the day, like, you know, just a couple of emails, whatever. We're all multitasking beasts now. Mm. So, you know, any of the clients that I'd built up, they'd be like, hey, we have an explainer video for you or, hey, we have a course for you. And they would just tell me, you know, budget, Dubai, whatever. Um, so I would just like put it on the list, whatever. And then at six PM, I would essentially close up shop and then roll over to my Mac. And then I would spend anywhere from like six PM to two o'clock in the morning, sometimes four to six hours recording, auditioning, updating my website, um, you know, reading emails, looking for clients, whatever. So I was essentially working two full time jobs essentially at the same time, and then spending my days working for the business, my nights working for my business. Right. And then weekends were all voiceover. So Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, like wall to wall, I was recording, recording, recording. So then when I met my husband, um, we, you know, we got to the point where we decided to move in together, we were living together. And essentially, my days were, you know, nine to six, I was doing my nonprofit job, he was at work, he would come home and say, Hey, how are you? Do you want to have dinner? I'm like, get out of here, I have to record. (laughs) So then. I would be in my office from like, you know, six to ten o'clock, and maybe like I would pop out for dinner and then go back in. And then he would be like in the living room playing video games on silent. And I was like, I've spent 13 years going on 97 blind dates, yeah. and I am not spending time with the person that I have found in this sea of trash. Like perhaps this is not the way one should live their life. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought about it and I I realized like you know, this, the thing that I had created was great for a fabulous single woman, but it was truly like if you wanted to, if you wanted to have a partner and you actually wanted to have a life, like this is the conversation about work-life balance, mm. like this wasn't going to cut it. And it was a hard decision because I looked at the numbers and like the numbers made sense. And fortunately, Buffalo is a very low cost of living area. Um if you'd like to feel super jealous, if you're listening to this in L.A. or New York, you can find my House Hunters episode because I was on HGTV's House oh, Hunters. Oh yeah, you can find it online. It's called Battle for a Basement in Buffalo. And when you see the home prices, you are literally going to want to jump out <laughs> your window. Um, <laughs> so for the cost that you're paying for your rent on your studio, like that was my mortgage, you know, and then some. <sighs> so, um, I uh, I ran the numbers and I was like, okay, the numbers make sense, but I had a lot of stuff um tied to that job. So I had a 401k with a company match. I had mm. all of my health insurance and it was a really good health insurance plan, the kind that doesn't have like crazy crazy deductibles and, you know, high high deductible and all of that kind of stuff. It was like a really like tony healthcare plan. Mm and you know i just started to like make a list of like what what is it going to take so the the impetus was essentially like i have to find balance in my life i want to do things besides sit in front of one computer for half the day and then sit in front of another computer like into the wee hours of the morning and have every weekend dedicated to to continuing to work um so cra- crafted a budget for myself you know if i if i if i cut out this salary and then i know i have to pay for Benefits and I have to be more aggressive about saving for my own retirement. Like, what does that look like? So I worked with um, my accountant. I worked uh, with my husband and we talked about like the different things that we could do, change, whatever. Um, And uh, I just did it. So I just, I jumped in and I let the nonprofit know that I wanted to be a voiceover actor full-time. They knew I did voiceover because I did all of the voiceovers pro bono for right. their uh, explainer videos and website and stuff. And they were always super supportive and were like, you know, we're we're proud of you. Great, like go on and do what you got to do. And um, I made it my goal. Like I want I want to have my first year be at least a wash. So I want to make at least mm. as much money as I did as, you know, nonprofit plus voiceover in my last year of doing both at the same time. I wanted my first year in voiceover to be at least equal to that. Mm. And I was there in like April this year.
3: (laughs) Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, So it was, I think it was just the time, like being able to open up more time during the day, being able to be more quickly responsive, being able to have more time to um go out and look for those clients that can really b- be um you know a huge return you know because they they want to come back to you again and again um getting out of only waiting for you know auditions or things to come to me but actually going out and finding more stuff but yeah that was it so when when my husband was playing uh, games on silent instead of us spending time together and realizing that there was a financial path to uh, just one job. Um, that was really what gave me the confidence to to just jump in and move forward.
0: Well, you clearly have an incredible work ethic, which is a significant part of this, but you had that ability to transition because you were working from home. Now, of course, you negotiated that with your uh, nonprofit. Um, yes. So what was the process of getting to that stage?
1: Yeah. So it was pretty simple because I had the I think I think it's there's maybe 3 things. So number 1, it's being an outstanding employee mm. and knowing that you have value. And you know, they knew that I was the kind of person that you know could be relied on to get things done, you know was never a problem like outstanding performer, hard worker, all of those things. So having that kind of capital built up ahead of time makes it easier to then spend it when you need it. Mm-hmm. Um the second thing was um at that time, the organization was growing so that it was starting to be that there were people in different, like, cities and stuff. So I think this is just a unique thing about, like, whatever job, like, for, for anyone who, who's listening who has a full-time job and is saying, like, oh, I wonder if I could work from home so I could make that transition, you know, like a two-part transition to leaving the full-time job. Having, you know, working for a company that has an understanding that people have to collaborate from different locations, like that can potentially be really helpful in in getting that understanding that you can do your job remotely. Um, And then for me, like I had the kicker of like wanting to leave New York because of my health. Um, You know, New York was becoming really really hard to live in with a debilitating mobility challenge you know oh, you're yeah. standing waiting for the train waiting for the bus when you get on the train there's no seats when you're going up and down the stairs god forbid you have to get off at lexington and you're walking up literally five yeah. stories of stairs and the elevators and are broken and the escalators are broken whatever so they were very sympathetic to my Kind of ask because I said, listen, I'd really like to move back to Buffalo where I have family. I think I'm eventually going to have to have knee surgery, which I did. And it's just going to be a much easier way of life. Like, can I do a job? The job that I was doing at that time could not be done remotely, but there was a job available on the job board that could be done remotely. Mm-hmm. So I actually took a pretty serious pay cut and I said, I can do this job. Um, could I take that job and take it with me? And they said, yes. So for anybody else who's thinking about that, I would say, first of all, do you have the capital build up, built up at your work location? You know, are you considered a high performer? Are you considered valuable? Are you considered, considered an asset? So when you make this ask, you know, is there a world where they can believe like living without you? Um, you know, we'd like to believe that we're all special unicorns, but in many cases, you know, you are replaceable, you are expendable. So can you get to a place or can you, you know, can you improve your performance if, you know, if it's just been lacking or whatever, to the point where like your company could not believe not having you every day. And then also just... Being able to show them, like, do by show. Like, when I moved back to Buffalo, like, I was available nine to six. Like, we used all the different collaboration platforms, like, Zoom, Skype for Business, Slack, whatever. Like, people could Mm. reach me the same way that they could if I was sitting in the office. And a lot of times when I was sitting in the office, they would Slack me anyway and not, like, come over to my desk. Because we've all become, you know, that kind of, like, technology culture. So I made sure that I was always available, always connected, always participating in meetings uh, via video conference, making sure I got FaceTime. Um, we made an agreement that I would go to the office in New York every quarter. So I would travel every quarter for like three to four days and be able to be in meetings with people in person and and have FaceTime. So there was still that connectedness. Um, but yeah, you just got to ask. I mean, the we're really seeing a push to... Um, Employers wanting to retain top performers and understanding that there are different ways to do that than money. You know, it's not just about um, compensating people at the highest level, but making these kind of like sticky offerings that make it difficult to leave. So we're seeing things like... You know flexible work um, you've got companies like Netflix that have moved to unlimited vacation because they hire mm-hmm. the right people they hold them accountable to their goals and they trust them so yep. if you need you know one year you need fifteen days of vacation one year you need seven days of vacation whatever it doesn't matter because we're not gonna we're not gonna nickel and dime you on the days having um, you know good parental leave policies and sick policies having coverage for mental health in your health plan like all of these little things that don't equate to, oh, a 10% raise. Um, so I think employers are wisening up, especially as you know, baby boomers retire, Gen X is moving into more advisory positions and millennials are now more your kind of like operational day-to-day middle managers. There's more of an understanding that this is a thing that people want to continue doing their job and do it well, but they just want to do it from home, maybe two, three days a week or full time or whatever. Um, So my mantra has always been, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, put a plan together, understand what it looks like for you and what it looks like for them and what you're willing to compromise on, what they might be willing to compromise on and see if you can get to a place where it works taking the commuting thing out of the equation and oh, being yeah. able to just immediately seamlessly move from my day job to my night job and not have to think about like the two, three hours in between and yeah. all of that kind of stuff, that adds to it. So I would say if you're listening now and you you are really interested in making a transition from – working full-time into being then a full time voiceover artist voice-actor, um, finding a way to not have to go into an office every single day is a huge piece for me of how it was a successful and easy transition.
0: And from the employer's perspective... Um... It can be attractive because there's an argument that you're actually more productive by working from home, anyway,
1: oh my God a hundred percent, yeah, I uh, listen when I worked in New York, I was not at my desk every day at nine o'clock in the morning, right no way, half the time it was like, oh the m t a whatever you know <laughs> nine nine thirty nine forty like arriving somewhere in the nine to ten range, <laughs> yeah. right, and that's just like accepted in New York. It's just part of like. The work culture and it's just it stinks but like you can't rely on getting somewhere on time
0: and then you're at work and you're sweaty and stressed and i know not- <laughs> right
1: um and you get distracted by people right because everyone's like coming over to your desk whatever yeah. i worked a lot harder from home 100 percent. i mean my commute was uh four steps from my right. bedroom to my bathroom to my you know desk um, I didn't have to spend any time getting ready, like full, like full, like business casual on top, pajama pants on the bottom. <laughs> like you know, the video conference cuts off right at your breastbone, right? So all I need is to brush my hair yeah, and like have a, a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't like Winnie the Poohing it over here, but like you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time getting ready. I didn't wear a lot of makeup when I'm working from home. Yeah. Um. So all of that equated to me like literally being at my desk like 9 a.m. on the dot. And just, like, cranking stuff out. I got a lot more done. I was much more responsive um, to, like, email slacks and chats because, like, I didn't, like, feel like I had to, you know, get up and go socialize, whatever. I was socializing with people in a different way. Mm. Um, and there were many times that I would work well beyond 6 p.m. if I needed to because something was due or there was something that was urgent, whatever. And I didn't have to think about, oh, I got to go make my train or, like, oh, I, you know, uh, you know something's going to change. I need time to get home, like, all of that. No, I just literally just shut the light off. Um, So I think a lot of employers are becoming wise to the fact that people will actually work harder And work longer, which maybe isn't that a good thing, but that's that's the American way, not the not the European way. We don't we don't believe in holidays over here. So, um, you know, they they will actually get more out of their employee if they give them that element of trust in that you know remote working relationship.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So, what about now the mindset change that you went through going from employment to self employment? You talked about losing the benefits. um, Also, you lose your regular paycheck. So how did you change your mindset to deal with all of that? And and actually some practical tips of like, you know, setting up your benefits now, you're self-employed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'll start with the benefits because that was kind of like a, a, a multi-tiered solution. So initially when I left, my husband was working for a company that offered benefits. So he had been on my benefits because they were better. Hmm. So, um, when, we, when I left my job, that's considered a qualified status change in the minds of the benefit brokers out there. So we were then able to transition to his benefit. So even though we were outside of annual enrollment, because we had a qualified status change, we were able to get onto his benefit. So we, we initially did that. Um, and then <laughs> um, my husband quit his job this year. Um, Mm. because, uh, I make enough money to support our family and we are Mm. a modern American couple (laughs) where the wife is, uh, producing and the husband, um, is taking care of the house and making me lunch. Um, we don't have any kids, so it's just the two of us and our cats. So, um, I, we, we got to this point where we decided like, Uh, We want to travel more. And he worked at kind of like a classical cubicle job where you get like 10 days of vacation every year. Um, And like that just makes it difficult to travel. Um, so we literally had this conversation. We sat down with like our budget and finances and I was like, listen, I think with my business, I'm actually making enough money to support, you know, our household expenses, our instant gratification problem and (laughs) our, you know, retirement and healthcare, whatever. So, um, he ended up leaving his job right before we went on our honeymoon trip. And then, um, we, looked at all of the different healthcare options that were out there. So we considered um, healthcare through our chamber of commerce. So if you are a voice actor in a community that has a chamber of commerce, you might have um, some group buying power available to you there. So I would investigate that there. Um, We checked out the New York state marketplace plans that were available, just the public plans that we could purchase. And then I also investigated the SAG-AFTRA health plan. So, um, I joined AFTRA in 2011 as part of my um, on-camera work. So I was already in the union before I even started doing voiceover. Mm -hmm. I had never taken advantage of the union um, benefits because I had benefits through my job. So it's never something that I considered. So I actually spoke to um, someone else who presented at Vocation, Melissa Exelberth, about what it would take for me to qualify for benefits. So if I wasn't booking enough... SAG after commercial campaigns um, to qualify for the benefits, which you know, after leaving my on-camera work, I was nowhere near uh, those that kind of benefit structure. Mm. Um, and she walked me through the process of converting um, work that fits under the category one and category two. Um, industrial codes, so your narrations and e-learning and things like that. Being able to convert that work with a paymaster, um, shout out to Falcon Paymasters who is also at vacation, Vocation. Yeah. Um, being able to convert that work to qualify for benefits. So I worked with Tom and Kim at Falcon. I looked at some of my industrial clients, and I converted that work in order to qualify for the SAG After Health Plan. So I am now, as of July 1st, on the SAG After Health Plan for benefits.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: And then the other piece of it was um, budgeting. Mm. I I would be the first to admit that I have an instant gratification problem like they design Instagram ads for me. Like Case in point, <laughs> last night, I bought three cat beds off of an Instagram ad because they said that they're amazingly comfortable and that like it, like cats love them. Um, And we already own perhaps like seven to eight cat beds. And I also posted a picture on Instagram yesterday of my cat sleeping on my pillow. So like they don't even need cat beds, but like I bought them. Um, So I have an instant gratification problem. <laughs>
0: we lost our cat uh, last year, but uh, towards the end, she had about six or seven chairs a place on the sofa yep. and a place in the corner of the room like where she just wanted to go sit on the printer yeah where we couldn't go
1: <laughs> yes
0: it was her place yes you know, all exactly. the places were her place you know? yes so I, I, we, I get it we
1: have um we have four cat trees around the house where oh, the wow. cats can like they have like scratching post legs and then they can lay on top um we have like probably six or seven cat beds and during the winter time we put them in front of the heat register so it's just like warm cat bed um and then like my cat sleeps on the bed sleeps on my pillow we have a futon in our spare room um that is just covered in cat hair like they have so many soft surfaces to sleep on yeah like this instagram ad came up and it was like amazingly comfortable cat beds and they look like marshmallows i was like i need three of those please order thank you (laughs) um so uh, i'm the first to admit that i have an instant gratification problem so My husband and I have tried to work on spending and budgeting. And we've tried to think about ways that we can stop bleeding money. Um, And what we've tried to do is just be more intentional about our purchasing. So I didn't do it last night, so that's a bad example. But stopping and thinking, like, is this something that I need Do I already own something that's like this? And then for, we also, we love seeing live comedy, live music, live theater. We love going to shows. So we stop and ask ourselves, like, is this a like bucket list item like this is someone that I've never seen pr- perform before and we need to go or is this like hey they're going to come around again and like we have already spent a lot on tickets this month so I'm just trying to be more intentional and asking myself about it um we've tried to figure out exactly like how much we spend in each category every month and it's really hard because like I look at like stuff that's like oh that's tr- travel for business and then this is travel for us and it's sometimes it's hard to like separate it and see exactly yeah um but those are some of the things that we've done um I'm using an app called every dollar And I'm trying to remember to like log expenses like as I do it. And then we started a strategy called Amazon Day is Friday. So throughout the week, if there's something that you want to buy on Amazon, we add it to our cart. We share an account. Um, And then on Friday, I go through the cart and I decide how many of those things I still want or need. Um, And a lot of times I typically remove three to four items from the cart before I place the order
3: Yeah, um,
1: instead of just like constantly going on, buying, buying, buying. Um, So uh, taking care of benefits, uh, budgeting was a thing. And then the freelancer pay period kind of thing is real. And it is a challenge. And I will say the way that I deal with it and everyone is different. But the way that I deal with it is I put everything that we buy on a credit card. I have a credit card um, that is linked to my JetBlue account. So I get flight points for everything that I buy. And sometimes my balance on my credit card is like $15,000 because I am waiting for a lot of payments to come in. And I do my very best to hold my clients accountable to a net, you know, 30, kind of 30 days pay cycle. But A lot of times, you know, I'm working with someone who's in the middle of the production chain. So if you think about it, like, okay, the brand has hired an advertising agency. They're gonna take 30 days to pay the advertising agency. The advertising agency has hired a video production person. They're gonna take 30 days to pay the video production person. The video production person has hired a sound engineer. They're gonna take 30 days to pay the sound engineer. The sound engineer has hired Let's let's even throw an agent in there. The sound engineer has booked me through an agent. So they're going to take 30 days to pay my agent. And then my agent is going to take 30 days to pay me. Now, this is this is a non union pay cycle, because obviously SAG after jobs are regulated and you have to be paid in in a certain amount of time. Hmm. But, you know, that is sometimes the reality in the marketplace that, you know, businesses are running on pure cash accounting and they're not able to pay you until they have been paid. Um, I have international clients where it just takes longer and you know they they do wires to their international um, contractors once a month and that's just it so if you did a job the day after they normally do their wires you're waiting another month until they do their wires yeah so um you know I I have a job tracking spreadsheet I use QuickBooks for my invoicing and I keep a really close eye on stuff and I just make sure that I'm reminding people at 30 days at 60 days I'm following up um, I actually used another person at vocation, Rob Siglum Paglia, this year to send a strongly worded letter to a client who had not paid in a very long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, I do whatever I can. That's that's a huge part of of running the business and being a freelancer that you have to keep a close eye on things. So for our family, um, I think it would be a lot harder if we had, you know, higher expenses like with with kids and school fees and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm glad that that's not part of the, the budget that I personally have to make right now for my family, but I basically float us on a credit card and then I just, I do my best to make payments, you know, throughout the month. I don't wait until like due date. So if I get a large payment come in, I am making like a large payment to my credit card, you know, right then and there um and moving moving the money around a lot but yeah um whenever whenever we apply for something that requires like a credit check (laughs) like i just recently bought a new car and the guy was uh, we were just getting to the point where i was deciding like do i want to move forward with this he's like hey can we run your credit i was like i was like i don't know if i want you to do that until i know i'm gonna buy it and he's like he's like do you have bad credit i was like no i have friggin' flawless credit but i was like on any given day i have anywhere from like $30,000 $30,000 of stuff charged on revolving cards and then sometimes I have like $5,000 charged on revolving cards and like I don't know what the day is so yeah. um, it, it's challenging.
0: And your your credit number can range based on how oh my much God. credit available I had you have, tr- right? I had
1: to turn off the notica- notifications from Experian because um, I signed up for them for credit monitoring after the whole Equifax breach yeah. but literally like every day Hi Maria, your credit balance increased. Hi Maria, your credit balance decreased. Hi Maria, your credit <laughs> balance increased. I was like, yeah, no, no shit Sherlock, I get it. Okay. So um, it's, yeah. And uh, obviously, like, I understand, like, there's an element of privilege of, like, having great credit and being able to do that. I think the, the balance on my uh, or the credit line on my JetBlue card that I have is like twenty five thousand dollars or something because um, yeah. I've built up a good credit history over time and I have a good credit score. And I have a mortgage now. We have two car payments. So I've got a lot of things like on my credit history that that help raise my score and show that I'm a, a worthy borrower. Um And I understand that everybody listening might not have a credit card out there where you can float, you know, fifteen grand at a time. Um, so it's it's certainly something that allows me to, rest easier at night, I know that I can, I can pay for our things, I can, you know, buy food, and um, I have enough cash on hand to to pay the bills that require cash that you can't put on a credit card and stuff. Um, but a lot of times, you know, that's, that's basically how we survive in a household where the only income coming in is a freelance income.
0: So why did you go the credit route rather than like a contingency fund that you use and replenish? Is there a reason for that?
1: Just because I want the flight points. I have not paid okay. for a flight on JetBlue in like six years. <laughs> right,
0: okay. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Yeah. I'm a, yeah, no, I'm just a, I'm a points maven. Um, I always, like my husband, he he never cared about any of this stuff. And I was like, don't use that. Don't pay for it on your debit card. We got to get the points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I just uh, love the points. And the the card that I got from JetBlue actually allows you to um, get mosaic status as well so then when I fly on jetBlue um, I get personally identified by the crew members we get free drinks huh. um, you get extra legroom seats uh, all of that oh, good stuff hello. so yeah no it's it's all about status baby <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> and the the mindset actually when you're um, budgeting is different too right when you're self-employed because you can't budget based on potential money that's coming in like you would be with uh, an employment because you know on the 25th or whatever it is of the month you're getting your your paycheck um, and you can kind of go to the wire um, with an employment so it's more about not not necessarily looking at how much you've invoiced more a case of how much you have and or how much credit you have
1: yeah I mean I have I have essentially, you know, over the last three years, like I've been able to average out like about how much I think I make a month. So I've definitely noticed like trends. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's wild swings one way or the other, like, oh, you, you know, have a contract that was three years long. They're moving on to another voice. It's not yours anymore. Like you lose that income or, oh, you've booked a commercial with a big campaign. You've got a wild influx of cash coming in that you weren't expecting. So we've tried to build our budget just off of averages of like what we think we're going to spend. Like we are two people. We think, we're gonna spend about this much in groceries every month right. um we're trying to get better about not ordering doordash every night like right. we can i saw i saw a meme on it was either facebook or instagram and it was like i don't know who needs i don't know who needs to hear this but you have food in your fridge like that <laughs> that hit me like so deeply yeah. um because we were the first ones to be like do you want to order indian food okay should i do it or do you want to do it and it's like scroll 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 the food will be here in 30 minutes so um you know getting better about like Grocery shopping, actually planning meals, and then reserving, like, the dining out and the ordering for the times that, like, you, like, truly, truly do not want to cook or or do something. Um, And then we've kind of, like, set up a entertainment budget. Like, hey, we want to try and go to, like, no more than, like, five live events a month. So, like, here's your your ticket budget. Um, And then the other things are pretty regular. So, like, our utilities are regular are, you know, car payment insurance, like all of that's regular. So you you know what that is going to be. Um, but yeah, you know, some of those like very like well-spoken of budgeting um, softwares out there, like everyone talks about like you need a budget, the YNAB method yeah. where you're constantly like paying forward. It's very difficult to do when you don't have a salary, when you don't know exactly what that nut is going to be every month when it comes in. And if you want to live like a truly cash life, um, then I would say then you have to do like what you were talking about. Like you need to build up a contingency fund. It probably needs to be about 15 grand because that's that's what I'm seeing on this end of like, you know, two, two people living in a relatively low cost of living marketplace. And on any given time, like we really need about 15 grand in order to float, you know, between the, the paychecks coming in and things like that. So you can like build and then replenish and use you know, a cash contingency fund the same way that I essentially use my JetBlue MasterCard.
0: Right. Gotcha. Um, So I want to change the direction a little bit here. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing uh, an article and it's talking about um, kind of what we're talking about here, the, the difference in approach to auditions when you're self-employed rather than doing it as a side hustle do you did you notice a difference did you (laughs) do you notice an extra level of desperation when you're you're looking at the the numbers and the audition and think oh i'd really i could really do with booking that gig (laughs) you know did that change
1: no it didn't for me i i have gotten to a really good place with the element the element of chance and the element of rejection um and I think, you know, maybe it comes from the number of things that I've auditioned for as an actor, like, out in the marketplace, like, since age 11. Um, I will tell you a very funny short story. When I was 12 years old, I auditioned for a community theater production of The Sound of Music. Um, so, obviously, they were casting, you know, however many Von Trapp children there are, right? So, I was the perfect age for Brigida. So, I, like, walked in there with my sassy, like, Disney songbook and, like, sang my audition, and I thought I did a really good job. Um, back then, <laughs> when you auditioned for a community theater production, they would typically either call you or mail you a letter and let you know, like, what role you were going to be playing and, like, when to show up for rehearsal. Mm. Um <laughs> I got a letter in the mail and it said, dear Maria, we're so excited to invite you to be a part of our summer production of Aladdin, the summer spectacular. They were doing probably a very illegal concert production of the music from Aladdin. (laughs) And I had been cast as like, you know, child number one out of 50 in this like chorus. I literally picked up the phone and I was like, um, "Hello, my name is Maria Pendolino." Keep in mind, I'm 12 years old. <laughs> um, I received a letter informing me that I was cast in Aladdin: The Summer Spectacular, but I did not audition for Aladdin: The Summer Spectacular. I auditioned for the role of Brigitte in The Sound of Music, <laughs> and like the person on the other end must have been like stunned into silence for like 15 seconds. They were like, <laughs> "Uh, yeah, you didn't get that." So um, we had so many kids audition that we decided to put on another production so um did you want to be in that and i was like i'll think about it thank you um (laughs) so like uh since since the beginning of time (laughs) i've i've had a really good grasp on like either getting the part or not getting the part and like not not being satisfied or like figuring out ways to deal with it and um, just as an aside, Aladdin: The Summer Spectacular was truly outstanding, and perhaps for a throwback Thursday, I will find the picture of me in my like harem girl dancing outfit because it is atrocious. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so maybe I I'll have make been... it the graphic
0: for this episode. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> the best part about it is, like, cultural appropriation aside, I also am wearing like gigantic plaque, uh, plastic pink glasses. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> like not before they were trendy hipster cool glasses oh, right, <laughs> and they're yeah. so wildly like unsized for my face. So <laughs> anyway, um, it's a, it's a real gem of a photo. The kind, the kind that show up like, you know, when your prom date arrives and your parents want to embarrass you, that's, that's the kind of photo that that is.
3: Okay. Yeah, um, please Um, so out.
1: I have, I have been dealing with rejection since, you know, my, my boisterous age 12 sound of music days. Um, so I, I have always been really good at the, um, now we have Elsa and frozen like the let it go let it go like elsa yeah. <laughs> um or i like the ron popeil the infomercial guy who sold the food dehydrator said it and forget it oh. like once you send the audition like it is gone like it is out into the universe Yeah. and i've gotten good at just like forgetting it i really i actually really prefer it when my agents who i work with that i trust and i know that they're not going to send me crap i actually prefer it when they don't tell you how much every job pays yeah um Obviously, if it's a SAG after job, then like you've got. If it's going to pay scale, like it's scale, and that's what it is. Mm. But like you know, we. It's very easy to like see an audition come in, and it's going to be like you know session fee, and this is the buyout, and blah 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 blah. And you're like, oh my god, oh my god, it's thirty five thousand dollars. Oh my god! If you walk into the booth with that, yes, that in your in your soul, it's like it's never prep. going to happen for you. Yeah. Like the desperation is absolutely going to come through. Um. So you just have to, you just have to like let that go and just like l- leave that out to the universe and not think about, I think you have to not think about the financial transaction when you're performing, because if you think about it, like when you're a stage actor, right? Um, for the most part, like you're not standing up there doing your monologue, thinking, "Hmm, there's 73 people in the audience. Everyone paid 47.50 for their ticket. I right. am uh, going to get 25% of house. So that means, you know, we are just that's not how it works. Like you just can't like have that going through your mind when you're, you know, delivering a comedic or emotional monologue or whatever. Mm. So, um, I. I I am very fortunate that I am able to be a a full-time voice actor. And obviously, you know, the money and the financial aspect of it is a part of running the business. I try to not think about it as part of the performance or what I do. So I have... I have time that I call, like, my computer, like, desk, like, money time, and I will block out time and say, this is the time that I'm going to spend reconciling my QuickBooks. I'm going to spend this time looking at, you know, what clients are outstanding and need to pay me, and I need to send uh, friendly slash nasty emails about it. Um, This is the time that I want to Uh, Look at my quarterly tax statement and see, like, have I put enough money away for my um, quarterly estimates for self employment tax? Um, This is the time that I'm going to check my bank accounts, my credit card. I'm going to put money into my IRA, like, all of those things. I try and block time out for that. And that time is not time that I am auditioning. This is not time when I'm doing a coaching session with someone. This is not time that I am reading, you know, incoming job offers or auditions. Um, I don't, like, do a half an hour of banking and then pop into the booth to do a half hour of auditions for video game characters and then come back out. So for me, an element of compartmentalizing is really helpful. Yeah, I absolutely. think another thing is is if you are not a numbers person and i know a lot of a- actors get a bad reputation of just being like flaky in general and I think that's very unfair
3: mm-hmm. sure
1: there are people who are flaky but yes there are also dentists who are flaky so like everybody like it can happen anywhere but like artists in general get this idea of like if you're an actor you can't possibly be good at business also that is bullcrap but if you are truly like numbers are really not your thing like own up to it and just say like this is not something Something that I do well. Like, I got into this business to be a performer. The aspect of running a small business and being an entrepreneur, like, that part of it is very scary to me. And delegate find help Mm -hmm. get an accountant get a lawyer hire a virtual assistant in the philippines to help you do your invoicing like there are a thousand different options but at the end of the day the only thing you have to do is you have to be the one talking into the microphone so if there are things that you are not good at and you do not want to spend time on whether you're good at them or not like i've started delegating some things that i am good at but i want more time to voice in the booth yeah um so that can be a good element of compartmentalizing as well and some Mm -hmm. people are like oh i'm not making enough money to do that i would challenge you and say you could be making more money if you spend the money now to do that so if you are spending so much time reconciling your books and doing the business stuff because you're not good at it or it takes you a long time and you're constantly have to have to google like how to do a percentage whatever it's not your thing fine offshore it like get it to someone else get someone else to do it put that in your budget of how much it costs them to do it and now you've opened up two three four hours to be direct marketing meeting people on LinkedIn, going to a networking event in your community, voicing more auditions, um, you know, looking for your finished products on YouTube so you can update your website. Like there's a thousand things that you can be doing with that same amount of time that could be actually generating revenue for you.
0: And the importance of being in the right headspace when you are in the booth as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you if you see the audition come in and like your headspace is like, oh God, I have to send invoices later. Oh my God. Like you are not going to bring that healthy, happy, bouncy voice to the yeah. Panera commercial that you're right. auditioning for or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think for me, compartmentalizing works and making sure that I'm dedicating time to auditioning performing being an an actor and then time dedicated to being the business person that i am running you know my my books and things like that but yeah you can't you can't go into the booth knowing how much a job is going to pay you if you book it because if you have that in the back of your mind you're just not going to be able to be free with it you're not going to be able to just you know let it go and and enjoy and act and and breathe life into that script even if it's the driest driest medical script or whatever it is um if you're like god i have to book this or else i'm really not going to be able to make that car payment like it's just that's not going to happen and i want to make sure that we're not confusing this with like um you know doing doing the craft and not worrying about money at all like i'll act for free i just want to (laughs) act it's not that i'm not saying that you should absolutely value your time value your craft and get what you're worth but don't bring the financial woes and worries in with you when you're getting ready to perform deliver an audition have a session whatever the desperation will come through in your voice the anxiety and anything that you're feeling about money will be there. Like just make sure that when you get into the booth like that is just your time to be an actor to to perform to audition, all of that stuff that has to be um that has to be a sacred space.
0: Oh, that was golden. Love that. Love that so much. <laughs> okay, so I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I want to have one more question before we sign off here. Um sure. I'd like you to just generally talk it's not really a question it's more a statement um i want you to just talk really about the importance of finding but probably more importantly maintaining clients
1: yeah so for me i i personally love auditioning and the reason i love auditioning is because you have the opportunity to meet people the moment that they need you yeah. Um, so as part of my, um, marketing strategy, and I think you should not have all your eggs in one basket. I think you should have many different, you know, for talking business, many different sales funnels, right? So many different opportunities for people to enter your business and, and create a transaction together, create a project together. Um, so one of my streams that I invest time, money, money, and energy to is sites where I can have. Large volumes of auditions. So these are your um, pay to play sites. Um, the sites that I currently work with are Voice123, VO Planet, and uh, Bidalgo and VoiceOvers.com. Yeah. Um, I love meeting people the moment they need you. And, you know, when they have posted a spec that matches me, this is my best chance of showing that client exactly what I can do. Um, in that 30 second audition, giving them exactly. Um, the tone, the emotion, the speed, the pace, like whatever the different specs ask for, showing them that I can be that person. And then I do everything in my power to convert that client into a long-term client, someone who wants to come back to me again and again. Um, In a perfect world, they realize that I can do exactly what they need you know, easy to work with, great customer service, superior audio quality, all of those things. And like the next time that they need to hire a voice like mine, they will come directly to me with the job or an individual personal audition versus posting a casting for, you know, 50 people to throw their hat in the ring. Yeah. Um. So I've been really good at taking clients from um some of those sites that I've mentioned and then turning them into longtime clients, and even in some cases, friends, you know, because we've worked so long together. Um, So anything that you can do to nurture relationships when you've been booked for that first job, um, as long as it's allowable in the, you know, terms of service of whatever sites that you're working on and sourcing auditions from, Mm. um, having that, you know, direct contact and being able to get to know them. Um, I have one client now that, it started, like, the first one started as an audition. We've been working together probably for almost six years now. Our communications are now entirely done in GIFs. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, like, uh, he recently sent me a script, and it had the word pivot in it. So I replied with the audio, and then I included the GIF of Ross from Friends doing the pivot couch (laughs) thing. And, like, he, like, replied in kind with, like, more Friends GIFs. And, like, that's, I literally delivered my audio with a meme, a GIF. Um, And, like, that's, that's obviously like the pinnacle of like freelancer client relationship they're not all like that obviously um so uh yeah anything that you can do to kind of nurture those relationships my other um sales funnel is uh direct marketing so um trying to find exactly the types of people that i want to work with and i find the easiest low-hanging fruit are explainer video companies e-learning companies and people who produce some sort of video so video production companies because they at some point in their production chain and some at some point in the food chain the supply chain they are going to need a voice so the question is Um, are they the type of company that does a casting every time and that's just their policy and they post an audition or they send an audition out? So if it's that, can you be on their list or roster to receive their auditions? If they are the kind of place that likes to present their clients like two, three options from demos, can my demos be in your file so that I can be presented as an option? Um, But those tend to be the ones that have kind of the lowest barrier to entry. They are typically the types of buyers that are not, utilizing agents because sometimes the budgets um, or the structures just don't work for the types of jobs that agents typically want to work on. Um, So as a voice actor running your own voiceover business, um, those three categories I have found um, really easy to enter. Um, Corporate narration and medical narration, to a certain extent, sometimes it's hard to find the right person. You know, I do some corporate narrations for like gigantic pharma companies, um, but the person that I started working with was not originally like the giant pharma company so sometimes it's difficult to find exactly like who's the right person to talk to so it takes a little bit more research sometimes for the different genres but yeah uh that like meeting people when they need you at the time of the audition um being really specific and targeting the type of people who you know hire voiceover and then the other thing is just like making sure that everyone you know knows that you do voiceover. Um, And then anything that could be considered like local networking or in-person networking. So I joined our Chamber of Commerce. I joined our local chapter of the Advertising Federation. I joined the Buffalo Broadcasters Association. I joined the National Association of Women Business Owners. Um, So all of these things, I I put on pants and I brush (laughs) my hair and I leave my padded box and I go meet these people in person. And I don't go into it with the idea of like, somebody's going to book me for a job today. No, it's the idea of meeting other people who are also um, running businesses or working in adjacent fields in your community and just like letting them know what you do. I met someone at our National Association of Women Business Owners dinner uh, that I went to on Wednesday. Um, She sells advertising. Um, So she's not going to hire me to do a voiceover, but um, some of the people that she like sells advertising for, they might. You know, whatever, need to do it. So maybe she and I will go out for a drink. Maybe I will buy her lunch, whatever. But this idea that like the first, um, you know, the first meeting doesn't involve asking for a job. The first meeting doesn't involve asking for having some sort of transactional thing, but just like meeting people out there in the wild and remembering that you are a human. And human interaction can be fun. I personally am an extrovert, so I get my energy from people. Um, So I love going out and networking and meeting people in person. And also in Buffalo here, there are fewer actors and voice actors and voiceover artists. So it's still a novelty (laughs) when I tell people what I do. This might be harder when you're networking in the wild in LA and New York when there's a little bit more saturation of people who are doing what we're doing. Um, But for the most part, when I meet people, they're like, oh, that's really cool. I've never thought about that as a business. So it can be a really, Nice, warm opening conversation. And again, you're not asking for the business or transacting in that conversation. But I mean, I've gotten jobs because my aunt has told someone that I do voiceover. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like making sure that everyone out there in your, in your universe, in your periphery knows that this is your business, this is your passion, this is what you're doing. And then, you know, networking is planting seeds. You know, you're not you're not harvesting at that time. You're just planting seeds. And then someday the hope is that those seeds will lead to something. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. At least you got out of the house and met some people and maybe you've got more friends to go to the hockey game with or whatever.
0: Oh, brilliant. I feel like I should charge for this episode. <laughs>
1: Put it behind a paywall we can share it. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: That was that was incredible. We covered so much there and there's so much a lot of information there that doesn't get talked about in terms of the mindset as a as a self employed person. Yeah. Um that I think everyone needs to talk about a lot more because we're all in our little padded booths on our own, tapping away at our computers every single day. Yeah, Um, and this this idea
1: of the kind of the voiceover entrepreneur of the future like is really growing. Yeah. We've seen this year we've seen agencies close. We've seen agents become managers. We've seen um, just a huge changing in the landscape of media advertising. And there's honestly like there's more voiceover work than ever because we have all of these emerging technologies, you know, voicing for apps, being the voice of a meditation app and like all of this kind of stuff. You know, it goes it goes beyond just what people thought of of this business 15 years ago, which was like you either do commercials, you do promos, you do narrations. Like, it was, like, these three big major categories. And, of course, those categories are still very, very, very large. But there's all this other stuff.
3: Yeah. And
1: it it has a lower barrier to entry. So this idea of, like, this voiceover entrepreneur that could, like, literally, like, you could live. Um, there's a voiceover actor that I talked to that lives in Italy. Like, you could live wherever yeah. you want and as long as you've got a good, you know, sound quality, a good place to do your recording. You've got high speed internet and, uh, access to email, (laughs) you know, you, you can, you can build, um, you can build an empire. You can build a business. Um, so I think, I think we should absolutely be talking more about the business aspect of things and what it means to be a small business owner, an entrepreneur, not only in the voiceover world, but just in the world in general.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of empires, why don't you tell us about your growing empire? Um, you're building up this uh, millennial voiceover website, yes. and uh, you've just had a SoVAS nomination as well. So things are going pretty well for you.
1: Thank you very much. Yes, um, this has been a this has been a great um, fall for me. So it kicked off with having a great time at um, Vo Mastery in California with Randy Thomas and working with people like Melissa Disney and Scott Rummel, Ooh. and then um, coming to Vocation and being able to meet everybody there and meet you in person finally after being you know, know. facebook's friends and stalkers for so many years yeah. <laughs> um uh lo- loving loving stalkers of course yes um yes. and presenting at vocation and then um yes yeah, so i uh received a sova's nomination this year for a piece that i did for visa in the e-learning category i was named to buffalo's 40 under 40 this year which was really really exciting very cool um but yeah so uh with my pal uh ian fishman who's a voice in Minneapolis. Um, He and I launched essentially a sub-brand of our voiceover businesses called Millennial Voiceover, which is at millennialvoiceover.com. And the goal is for us to help companies speak millennials. So if you are targeting millennial buyers or you're trying to recruit millennial employees, understanding that the millennial generation likes to be talked to in a different way than their older or younger peers. And right now, millennials are at the height of quote-unquote adulting. They are um, getting married they are getting promoted, they are buying their first houses, they are having kids, millennials are becoming the you know young moms and dads, um, and helping people just understand the, the habits of the generation. Millennials are now eight, 80 million plus strong in the U.S. alone wow. and are the most coveted part of the purchasing demographic and hiring demographic in, when you think of like the coveted 18 to 49, millennials are the largest majority of that group now. Yeah. So the goal is that people will find us by Googling and searching for millennial voiceover, and we're working on more adding more media to YouTube and um, upping our social media and stuff so that people will find us. And that our goal is that it brings more uh, revenue to our two individual voiceover businesses, but also that we can bring business to our counterparts who are also either millennial voiceover artists themselves or have a millennial sounding voice because we know that age is just a number and there's many people who are old that sound young and young that sound old whatever yeah so we've built a database of um, other talents that have millennial sounding reads so that if someone comes to us and is like hey i'm looking for a spanish-speaking millennial or i'm looking for an african-american millennial or i'm looking for a person of color could you help me um we're hoping that we can pass on those opportunities to trusted talents in our network so that's why we put out the call when we announced our brand to invite people to join our database so that if somebody is looking for someone who's decidedly not us, we can refer them to other um, authentic talents in our network that are um, available and ready to work. So we're really, really excited about that. And
0: authentic is the key, right? Because we've had a story recently about that. Yes,
1: (laughs) absolutely. There are so many talents out there um, that come from um, minority or underrepresented or underserved backgrounds. And we want to make sure that we are elevating those voices 100% and providing them opportunities for jobs that you know, if we're the default, we want to make sure that when somebody is looking for something that's not the default that they're finding the right people and we're really excited about that um so you Brilliant. can find us at millennialvoiceover.com, on twitter at millennial vo on instagram at millennial voiceover um and if you're interested in submitting to the database you didn't get a chance to do that when we announced it um earlier this year you can just shoot us a note millennial at gmail.com and i will send you the link um to submit to the database
0: fantastic and you you started coaching as well too right
1: Yes, just a little bit. So uh, like I said earlier, when we were talking, I find the performance aspect of things to be the most difficult to talk about. So I am not performance coaching. But if anybody is interested in business coaching and mentorship, so if you're at the stage where you are trying to build your voice over business, and you feel like you're stuck, and you just need to know like what your next step should be, whether you're just starting out, or you're at the midpoint, or you're trying to get over a plateau, you want to move into the next income category, whatever. Um, I have set up a Calendly account where you can book time on my calendar for either um, if you need help immediately with a negotiation, which came out of vocation. (laughs) Um, After my presentation, people started emailing me asking if I could help them quote, which I'm happy to do. I just don't have enough time to reply to everyone's emails. Um, and to just give, like, to be an on-demand free quoting service. So um, I set up on my Calendly a 15-minute negotiation session, so you can book just 15 minutes on my calendar to ask for help with building a quote or redlining a contract, you know, asking for different verbiage, all of that. And that's $25. You can just book that on my calendar. Um, And then I set up a 30-minute and a 45-minute session. So the 30-minute session I called Building a Roadmap. Um, If you tell me kind of, like, what you are looking to do or the things you want to level up on, I'll literally just like build you your to-do list. So instead of just sending you off to Google and telling you the types of things you should do, I'll just give you like three things in each category that I think you could do to level up your business in the way that you're asking. And then if you're interested in like an ongoing mentorship where like you want to talk about your business like week to week, almost Brad Brad Newman called it voiceover therapy <laughs> when I was <laughs> oh, yeah. um, talking to people. I think it was during the working pros panel when people were asking questions like, oh, I want to talk about this. What could I do? So um, if you'd like to kind of talk to me in an ongoing kind of way and you need more individualized support. I created like a forty five minute session with the idea that that could be an ongoing thing that you could book you know week to week or every two weeks. Um so yeah, if you're interested in that kind of coaching and support, it's at calendly that's c a l e n d l y dot com slash voice by Maria. And you'll see, Um, The three uh, things that you can book Um, and if you're interested in possibly like the business coaching and mentorship, but you're not sure which one's right for you. um, I did set up a free 15 minute consultation where if we haven't met before if you would just like to meet me and talk and understand like who I am and see the whites of my eyes, whatever, (laughs) um, you can book that free 15 minute consultation. And I'll let you know, like, Hey, I think we could get this done in one half an hour roadmap session. That sounds great. Or like, Hey, what you're talking about sounds like it would maybe take us like two or three sessions to unpack. So maybe book the 45 minute, whatever. And then if you do need help with quoting negotiation, um, I'm, I'm truly happy to help, um, uh, just to protect my time. I just, um, you know, set up a, a 15 minute thing that you can book for 25 bucks.
0: Amazing. Well, I knew this was going to be uh, good. (laughs) I wasn't prepared for the quantity of information you were going to impart. It's amazing. So, thank you so much for your time, Maria Pendolino. Yeah, I really appreciate you spending time with us today.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting with you.
0: Thanks, as always, to our guests, our sponsor, JMC Demos and to backstage magazine and a special shout out goes to patreon super member angus mcleod don't forget to connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram at vo school podcast and for early access to episodes and for other perks become a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash vo school i'll see you again next time